0: A little while ago, I I ran into a kind of a sticky situation. A buddy of mine and I went out to see a late movie one Friday night. And matter of fact, it was so late, I was on my way home, and it was like Saturday morning, about 1 o'clock. And I'm rolling through South Walnut, and in my head, I'm thinking about, oh, that was a great movie, and that was really fun hanging out with my buddy. I need to do that more often. And, And I'm looking around, I'm like, man, there's five lanes of nobody. There's like no traffic, all the lights are flashing yellow, and the..." I pass uh, South High School uh, and I look in the parking lot and nobody's there and then, then my, mo- my, wi- my mind starts to wander to how am I gonna sneak into my house without waking up my kids and my wife and then all of a sudden I see these f- sparkling lights behind me and I say, uh oh, somebody's, oh, that's me. So like any good citizen, I pull off into Dairy Queen at one o'clock in the morning and I roll my window down and the officer, uh, Comes up to my door and asks me for my license and registration. I give it to him, and he's like, "Do you have any idea why I pulled you over this evening?" And in the back of my head, I'm like, "Man, uh, I—I mean, maybe my license plates registration's off. Maybe a year or two. I forget that kind of stuff." Um, And I'm like, "Probably. I, you know, officer, I was probably going a little too fast. I wasn't paying attention." I'm sorry. And he goes, you were doing 15 miles over the posted speed limit. And my first reaction was, whoa! I mean, I'm not cruising 60 miles an hour down south. Well, I'm in a Jeep. It's made to go up hills, not go fast. And I'm like, are are you sure? Like, I, I can't imagine I was going that fast. How fast was I going? He's like, well, you were going 45 miles an hour. And since I went to college once, 15, and that's 30 miles an hour. I had no idea south walnut was 30 miles an hour no idea and he says i'll be right back mr muffler and he walks back to his vehicle and it's it's never a good sign when somebody calls you mr muffler that's a bad day so i'm sure he's checking out if i have any warrants out for my arrest nope (laughs) so that's nice that was a good day um so in my head i'm thinking man, now i gotta, can, I got to sneak in my house, not wake up my kids, not wake up my wife, and try to find a way for her not to kill me because i just got a ticket, i got to sell blood or plasma or something to try to pay this thing off. So he walks back up to me, and he's like, you need to slow down. And I said, yes, sir, I need to slow down. <laughs> he's like, Mr. Muffler, and he gave him my stuff back. He's like, you need to go home. And I said, yes, I'm going home. The reality is, is that was me, it wasn't my, my, my car's fault. Just because I didn't remember it was 30 miles an hour, it's posted like every 15 seconds, these convenient little signs that say speed limit, 30 miles an hour. Just because there was five lanes of empty traffic and blinking lights, I just, just wasn't really thinking about it. It was my fault. A bunch of years ago, um, as a student minister, I have the opportunity, blessing, to go to a lot of games for students. So I was at a soccer game, and I don't, I, I ah, soccer, it's not my thing. It's, you know, in the school, you play for like an hour and a half, and it's tied 0-0, and everybody goes home. It just makes me sad. <laughs> so, so I'm there, I'm, I'm really there not watching the game. I'm shaking hands, and I'm high-fiving students, and I'm having conversations. I run into a bunch of people from church, and this was years and years ago. Uh, I run into a buddy of mine who is really upset about some call or some coaching frustration. His intense glare is at these umpires, referees, whoever these people are in soccer. Um, uh, And he is, he's letting them have it. Now, we've all been there before, right? You've all been to, like, the, the, the pee-wee, uh, pee-wee Pop Warner, like, T-ball, and somebody, some parents just getting a little irritated that Johnny's, you know, picking daisies, or they're trying to encourage a little too much. But this guy was just going after these umpires, or whatever they are. And um, I didn't have enough guts, because I felt the tension. And I was probably 23, 24 at the time. I wasn't going to walk up to an older gentleman, put my hand on his shoulder and say, easy, but another buddy of mine from church was there, so he did, and he just walked up, put his hand on this very angry dad, and this anger and frustration and rage that was pointed in one direction switched (laughs) (laughs) automatically. I mean, it was interesting. I was like the third party, and I'm like, oh, and all of these, just the tone and the words, you know, it's not like he was threatening death or anything, but at the same time, it was, it was pretty intense, I, I really walked away from that situation thinking less of that guy. It's my fault. You know what I mean? Shouldn't really judge. Everybody has a bad day. Maybe something at work. Maybe something at home. Um, maybe, I, I, you know, I don't know the situation, but everybody has those bad days. But I walked away thinking, man, that guy, I don't, I don't, want, I don't want to upset that guy at all. <laughs> I don't want to get on his bad side. Reacting to when we are called out on the carpet, with our sin, with our foolishness, with our transgressions, sometimes results in two different things. Um, arrogance is the attitude of superiority. How dare you look at me and call me out? How dare you? I'm in a much better position. I, do you know, even know who I am? I, I, I have full right to do this. Arrogance or humility, the attitude of submission. Now nobody likes the word submission. Nobody! But when we're called out, when somebody steps up and says, hey, easy, just take it down a notch. That's kind of the two ways I feel like that I react in my life. And if you're anything like me, we might have a problem. We might have a hard understanding of what humility truly is when we are kind of put back in our spot. There's a strong potential to damage relationships with a poor reaction to our sin. If we if we don't carry ourselves with humility, we have the opportunity to damage our relationship with our God, our family, our friends, our co-workers, our community, and even I'm gonna call it if you're a follower of Christ in here, you tell people that, you have the damage, you have the opportunity to damage God's name. And I struggle with this. Inspired series leads us today to First and Second Samuel. If you want to, you can get out your electronic device. You can even go old school and bring out your Bible. Open up to First and Second Samuel. We'll be at Second uh, Samuel 11 and 12 for the next couple minutes. We're gonna look at King David. King David, he's a stud. He's great. We see him as a kid uh, doing amazing things like killing giants and hanging out with sheep. We see him anointed uh, for killing sheep, killing giants. What'd I say? Huh? Anyway. Um, <laughs> it's 9.30. Um, as, as a little kid humbly doing what he's called to do, we see him anointed as the next king of Israel. Uh, we see him in great opportunities where King David really just steps up and was a very humble, amazing man. But in First and Second Samuel, we have a fantastic story of when he just had a bad year. You guys have a bad day. You're kind of cranky. David had a bad year. But what we see in 1 and 2 Samuel is God truly, um, his promises to Abraham has basically been fulfilled. His people, his heirs have become a great nation. Their descendants have now a homeland. They're, they're not just wandering from here and there. They have a place, and they have a covenant with their God. The next thing up is leadership. And we see in First and Second Samuel some amazing stories of God's men and women stepping up and doing big things. So today, we're going to look at a quick overview of uh, 2 Samuel 11, and then we're going to get in the, into the roots of uh, 2 Samuel 12. We're going we're to look at Nathan, the prophet of God, walking up to King David and having a very hard conversation. But let's figure out how David had a bad year. It all started in the spring, it says in verse 1. We see, we find David not going to war like the other kings, but walking around and finding himself in trouble. King David can do what he wants. He's the king. You know, when you're the king, you have the authority, you have the power. And one day, he decided to go for a walk, and he sees something you probably shouldn't see. If you or I are walking down Kirkwood, and we see something like someone bathing naked, we would say, hmm, Kirkwood, you never know, rock on. And you just keep moving on. I mean, it's B-town, whatever. But probably, most of us in here would, would take a look and go, and keep moving. David doesn't. He stops, smells the flowers, and he makes a poor decision. He calls his servant over and says, hey, who's that? Go get her. Not like, hey, I would love to have a a wonderful spiritual conversation about how God is amazing, maybe play some cards afterwards. No. He had one thing on his mind. As Mel Brooks once said, it's good to be the king. So when Bathsheba, married to Uriah the Hittite, who's off to war, by the way, Uh, comes to see David. David sleeps with her. She is now pregnant. Here begins just an entire year of problems, frustration, and sin. Uh, He sends for Bathsheba. Um, David tries to manipulate Uriah to hide the fact of his sin. Instead of dealing with and saying, oh, man, this was a poor choice, he keeps adding on and keeps adding on. So he calls back Uriah from war, and he says, Hey, Uriah, man, high five. You're a great guy. How about you go hang out with your wife? Hmm. You know, have some quality time to try to cover up this problem. Well, Uriah stands firm and says, You know what? No, my, my buddies, my, my team, my army's out there sleeping on the cold, cold floor, fighting and dying as we speak. Why well, would I ought to go hang out with my family? Why well, would I to go hang out with my wife? I'm going to sleep on these stairs, like right here in the middle of the city. And David's frustrated, and so on and on we see David trying to manipulate the situation. He went so far to to manipulate the situation so that other people wouldn't find out his sin and shame that he invited Uriah to a party and got him drunk. I mean, come on, kind of classless? And still it didn't work out. We see in 13, 14, and 15 um, that David's plans of manipulation are not working out. He is Arrogant. He is upset. He is. He's not going to lose face over this. He's going to fix this solution one way or another, or find a solution one way or another. So he gives Uriah a piece of paper to give to his um, the next level up, and he says, "Okay, go back to war. Have a good. Have a nice war. See ya." Uriah goes back to his commanding officer, gives this piece of paper. Uh, to him and it reads basically, hey Uriah, I would like you to put him on the front lines and I want you to do something ridiculous. I want you to charge the walls. Okay? Back then, really your defense was walls. You build a big wall, you have some archers on top, you pick people off on the bottom. So the idea of charging a wall isn't really a great strategy. David wanted Uriah dead, flat out. He said, I'm going to make this disappear. I'm going to make him disappear. And what happens because of his arrogance? Because of King David's arrogance, Uriah is killed. And so are a lot of other soldiers. Families are decimated. Pain, anguish, anger, frustration, all because David, solid guy, most of his life has one bad year where he just can't admit that he's at fault, he's at mistake, that it's just, I'm just going to cover it up and move on. Which leads us uh, to 2 Samuel 12. Nathan has been called by God to call David on the carpet. Now, let's, let's, let's look at this real quick. If you're Nathan and God speaks to you, you might be a little afraid. And then after you hear what God has to say, you'd be really afraid because, wait a minute, God, you expect me to walk up to the king of Israel and Judah, say, neener, 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 I know what you did last summer, and God is mad. yeah, you're dead. King David, I don't like your tone. I don't like your words. Somebody get rid of that guy. Simple and easy. Nathan's not a dummy. Maybe even God gave him this idea. So what we see in uh, 2 Samuel 12 is Nathan's parable. He walks up to David and gives him a parable. Let's read this. 2 Samuel 12, 1 through 4. The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, there were two men in a certain town, one rich, the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it, he grew it up with him and his children, shared his food, drank from his cup, that's gross, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from uh, taking one of his own sheep and cattle to prepare the meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the little lamb that belonged to the poor man who prepared it for the one who came to him." Nathan's no dummy. He rolls up with a story. He says, there's a poor man and a rich man. The poor man had nothing. Matter of fact, the only thing he truly had was this one little lamb that he had to buy. And when you don't have much, things are really expensive. Even cheap things are really expensive. Matter of fact, this little lamb was so important to this family that he hung out, slept with him, ate scraps off the table, drank from his cup. That's gross. But, you know, we do crazy things for our pets. America, hmm? Looking at you. This was like a daughter to him. This pet was so important. And the rich man had many, didn't care, was emotionally unattached, could have easily just had lamb stew for dinner and didn't even care stole this little lamb from the poor man. Now, we see David's response in 2 Samuel uh, 12, 5 through 6. David's mad. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, this man should die. He must pay for the lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. This is a story of oppression, and David gets Man, Matter of fact, he kind of flies off the handle and says, this man should die. And really, to be honest, you steal somebody's pet and eat it. It's gross. It's sad. But it's not a capital offense. Really, in, the, in, that, in that time, the judicial system would just say, hey, listen, you got to pay four times what the lamb is worth, and then you move on. That's kind of your sentence. But David just flies off the handle and says, this guy deserves death. This is ridiculous. How dare you oppress this person? Nathan's response is probably one of the most drama-filled, climactic, just sentences in the Old Testament. He stares at David. And 2 Samuel 12, 7, 13 says this, Then Nathan said to David, You are that man. This is what the Lord God says. I anointed you king over Israel. I've delivered you from the hand of Saul. I've given your master's house to you, your master's wives into your arms. I've given you all of Israel and Judah. And if this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why do you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite, with the sword, and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Anamites. Now therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. A little bit later on, This is David's response, and think about it. He's the king, he can do whatever he wants. But remember, we we look at King David as like one of the greatest kings over God's people. We look at David all throughout his life and we say, wow, that guy is amazing. He steps up, he steps up, he steps up. This is one bad year, and this is is King David's response. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord could have blamed somebody else. He could have just said, no, that's not me. He could have made excuses. He could have had Nathan killed. But he just stands up and says, that's me. I did that. I have sinned against my God. And this was probably not in a chamber someplace by themselves. This was probably in front of a great deal of people. Nathan's reaction to that says, Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. You are the man as a slap in the face. Can you imagine that? Have you ever been called out? I'm sure you have. Have you ever been caught? I'm sure you have. I mean, I have. It hurts. (laughs) It's painful. Nathan was just doing what God had called him to do. King David was in just this rut of denial and sin and arrogance. And he finally pulled it together. And in humility, being submissive to God, finally raised his hand and said, yeah, that's me. That's my bad. Paraphrase the next part of the story there's a lot of pain and anguish. But David doesn't stop. He asks for forgiveness. He tries to make things right. A little bit later, he stands up and he continues. Matter of fact, his relationship with his God is never better after this. He does not stall out in his faith, he does not stall out in being a servant of God. He is a pillar of the Old Testament because of his reaction and humility. Now, we've talked about King David as a king. Let's talk about our king. I'm making an assumption that if you're here on a Sunday morning, most of you are followers of Christ. If you are not, if you're here just trying to check us out, I'm glad you're here. That's fantastic. For those who are under the authority of Jesus Christ, let's listen to what our king does. In Philippians 2, 5-8, In your relationships with one another, all the power in the universe and every single bit of authority to say, yeah, I'm not going to die on that cross. (laughs) Especially for a bunch of people that can't even stand me, who mock me, who forget about me until things get hard. He had every right to say, no thanks, I'm not going to do that. I'm God, I can do what I want. But he humbled himself, came to this earth so that we could have a perfect example of a human perfect example of a God all at the same time. A God that would give up everything, die on the cross in humiliation so that we could have forgiveness of our sins, we can have a right relationship with our king. Humility is one of those defining characteristics of a follower of Christ. And if we struggle with that, we, we better think about it. We better say, you know what, I mean, since we all have sinned, that's my assumption here, we're all going to get called on it. Maybe we can figure it out ourselves before somebody else says, we better figure out how we need to react to it. So if you, were like me, you struggle with humility sometimes, here's some three steps, some three ideas. Um, three steps that might help you take that next step in your faith with Jesus if you struggle with humi- uh, humility. Don't let your power or authority go to your head, whoever you are. If the youngest person in here are the oldest, I don't care what your job is, I don't care what s- status you have in the community, can you imagine humbly sitting across the di- uh, dining, ta- dining room table to your wife looking at her and saying, you know what, that's me. I made a mistake, I'm sorry. Let's talk about this. Can you imagine about what your relationship would look like? What if you're a parent that looks at your kid and says, hey, you know, Myra, I know you're two and a half, and you're going crazy, and for some reason you're upset now, and there's um, Slurpee all over the wall, and for some reason you tried drinking it through your nose, and I probably shouldn't have yelled at you, and my tone was not appropriate. Okay, you don't deal with that? Maybe that's just me. <laughs> but apologize to my two-and-a-half-year-old because there's milkshake everywhere. What would our families look like? What would our coworkers, how would they see us? How would they see Jesus in us if we stood up and said, you know what, that's, that's me. i got to own it. Number two is, is once you've messed up, own it. Just flat out. There's, there's no room for excuses. Guys, Excuses are for kids we're, we're grown adults in here. Let's stand up firm and say you know what I've I've done something wrong I own that that's my fault No longer should we act like children? We should act like adults and just take ownership if we've done something wrong Could you imagine the respect that brings guys? I'm a Cardinal fan NL Central by the way BAM go Cards um as a as a, as a sports fan You guys maybe have heard about steroids and and people cheating and breaking rules so they can do better in sports. Now listen, as a Christian and as an American, I like my sports. It's good stuff. I I get emotionally invested in people because I love stories and I like rooting for people and stuff like that. We are willing to forgive most people. If someone's caught now doing something ridiculous or bending a rule and they come out and say, you know what, that was a poor decision, that was not a good idea, that's my fault. I made a judgment error and I'm sorry. I tell you what, 95% of us in here be like, hmm, okay. But if that first baseman, that wide receiver is like, that's not me, that's a negative test. Oh, come on, you gotta be kidding me. I've never put anything in my body that's not whole grain oats. We, we tend to look at them for years and years and years and say, oh, that's, that's arrogance. That's not how you deal with the situation. And the third thing is, make it right if possible and move on. If we kind of understand that arrogance destroys relationships with our God and others, and humility binds, heals, or brings back these relationships, do the very best we can to try to make it right. If you've been hurt... If you've hurt someone, try to have that hard conversation. Try to make that situation right and give God glory for it. Stand up and move on. Don't let your sin, don't let your past define you. Because in the name of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven and we are free. Do not let Whatever junk is in your past, whatever junk's even in your present, stop you from a relationship with Christ, stop you from being an amazing servant, stop you from loving other people for Jesus Christ. Don't let your power or authority go to your head. Once you've messed up, just own it and make it right right if possible and move on. Can you imagine if we lived humbly? Can you imagine what our relationships would look like? Can you imagine getting that monkey off your back of, of always trying to hide or, or hoping that nobody doesn't find out your ridiculousness, your mistakes, your sin. Can you imagine what your relationship with your God would look like? Instead of hiding, instead of running away, instead of putting your head down and saying, well, that's, it is what it is and I, I don't know, you just must hate me for it. My challenge for us this morning is this. It's difficult. There is sin, there is problems in this life that we need to address. We need to man up or woman up, depending. Take it on, ask forgiveness, and humbly walk through this life, giving glory to God.